0: Tandem Nomads episode 166.
1: Even if it's Time Magazine or the New York Times or the Washington Post or any, any one of the big names, maybe it helps to know that they are actually looking for people like you to write for them because it's not very obvious. Actually, they, they are looking for, for writers and freelance writers.
0: Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Emil Deregi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. One of the great ways for you to be able to get more visibility, attract more clients, and, and grow your business is to be featured in the media. You can either be interviewed, but another way to do it as well is to actually submit your articles to platforms such as online magazines as well as print magazines. So writing is an amazing way for you to be able to to get published and to find exposure for your business and this is what we're going to talk about today with a very special guest Olga Mecking. Olga are you ready for this ride? Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you again in the show. Just in few words Nomad Nation, Olga Mecking comes from Poland. The first time she moved abroad was to Canada where she joined her husband, her, her German boyfriend at the time. They then moved together to Germany in marriage, and three kids later, she now lives with her family in the Netherlands. So her journey started when she decided to blog and share her journey with parenting abroad. And that is when I first interviewed Olga on Tandem Nomads Podcast Show to share her journey of being a blogger, as well as having, as being featured for the first time in online blogs and magazines for her writing. But since, Olga has been on an amazing journey, and this is why I wanted to bring her back to share with us all this amazing growth that she has been experiencing since. So Olga Marking is actually a writer and a journalist, and since her last episode in the Tandem Nomads podcast, so her articles were published on the BBC, The Guardian, Washington Post, New York Magazine, and the Pacific Standards, and many, many other platforms. And one of the great things about her story was also on top of it, one of her articles was uh, featured in the New York Times magazine and went viral, which has then led her to also be published, p- but publish her book called uh, Nixon, the Dutch art of doing nothing. So Olga, what an amazing journey since the last time we talked, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm really surprised at what happened. And when I looked back at the last podcast is like um at a totally different place
0: right now it's uh, very weird it's it's very inspiring so I'm really happy to have you back here to share with us what has happened since and what has triggered you to be where you are today so i want to talk a little bit about your book also because it's a very interesting concept but before that i would if you could just try to remember where you were before when you were still having your blog, you don't define yourself as a blogger anymore. You define yourself as a writer and journalist for other um, news platforms but and, and and mediums. But I would love to know what has happened, what has made that shift for you? Or you decide to say, okay, I don't want to see what to blog anymore, I have my own blog, but I want to write for others. What happened for you to get there?
1: So yeah I actually closed my blog maybe two years ago, a year ago. Um yeah, and I just have a website, an author's website, which is ogamaking.com. and I think when we last talked, um, I was already started, started starting being published on, on parenting blogs and magazines, like Scary Mommy and Mama Load and others, um, and I just kind of continued doing that more and more and more, and I blogged less and less and less, and because... One of the things I noticed was that blogging was great, but it was also unpaid. Lots of time spent on crafting articles, finding pictures, sharing it everywhere. And my audience was never very huge.
0: Mm.
1: So, um, At that time I thought, okay. Um, I, I, I kept my blog for as long as I wanted. And when I noticed that I was starting to make money um, writing. I kind of kept it up for a while because I wanted to have something just for me instead of, you know, writing for others. where well, you have editors, which is of course great, but they, they want you to have a special voice that, that fits into doing magazine. And I wanted to have, some, I had to have something just for me, just um, when I could write whatever I wanted. Um, but also blogging was changing so you couldn't just write a story put it up on your blog you had to kind of do seo and do pictures and Mm. picture in three different formats for three different different platforms (laughs) and something that used to take maybe a few minutes to or maybe an hour to do it just started taking so much longer and i was being i was getting very annoyed by that yeah kind of stop blogging and just focused on the on the writing some also because as i said my audience was never big but new york times washington post all those platforms have huge audiences so why would i try to keep up my own tiny blog where i could get in front of those audiences?
0: And I think what makes it interesting in your case, so Nomad Nation, when I started this introduction, I was talking about writing as a way for you to be able to have exposure for your business, but writing itself can be a business and a source of revenue, like in your case, Olga. So real quick, do you think that there's a big difference between pitching when we have, you have your own business and you just want to share your expertise or pitching to be paid?
1: Um, that's a good question because it's actually very important to – um to editors at publications whether you're trying to promote your business or whether you're an expert writing a story because it also uh, it's um also visible in in the payment for example i know friends who had books out and they wrote lots of stories to promote their books and then they were not paid for those stories because it was you know um they could promote their book that way mm when I just write a story about something uh, that maybe doesn't have much to do with my book, then I can kind of, oh, well, I'm not thinking that um, far yet, but mm. because now I can just pitch stories and get paid for them. Um, but as soon as you're trying to promote something that becomes very tricky.
0: Mm, yeah. So it's just that you either get paid by getting exposure or you get paid by, by money. I think at the end, that's a little bit the, the, the different angle, but I think the method of pitching is not that different. Is it? Uh, it's not different. In fact, you
1: have to be careful as a writer to use the, like some experts say, be careful with using the word pitch.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: our people also write pitches only. They write things like, Oh, what do you like to interview my expert? So-and-so for mm-hmm. your." story about um i don't know business <laughs> yeah um whereas a writer would say i have a story about business and i'm actually a business woman myself and this is my expertise and this is my idea and this is why it's so great for your publication
0: mm. the, the
1: difference is small but it's it's there
0: yeah so you think that publications are more interested in real experts who do have something to share when the, when they pitch instead of being indirectly pitched by other people.
1: Yeah, I think it, also, it has to do with, you know, ethics and journalist standard, uh, journalistic standards. Mm. Um, because from my experience, they do have an interest in, in writers uh, pitching their stories. And it helps if you're an expert in something, for example, if you're a business writer or if you're a parenting writer, or if you're kind of a combination of both or something else um that's really helpful once you have a product you want to sell that's uh, that's becoming trickier
0: yeah definitely it's a different yeah angle that you want to bring yeah so so let's start with with um i'd love to do like a move like move backwards let's start with the present and then move move a little bit backwards so could you tell us the whole story about how you went from uh, pitching the article to the new york times to writing your book and being oh, published. <laughs> that was a whole big
1: story. Um, so <laughs> I read a little story in a totally unknown Dutch magazine um, about, and it was called uh, "Nixon" or "Doing Nothing Is the New Mindfulness." Mm. And by and at that time, I was so annoyed by all, by all those, you know, wellness trends telling us to do more, or maybe you should be more mindful, or you should be. You should buy more stuff or you should eat healthier or you should, I don't know, it's whatever it is, it's all very time-consuming and exhausting and then you have to do it over all, all areas of life, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I was so annoyed by, by it and then I read this article and thought, oh yeah, actually why, why can't we do nothing? Why is it not okay? Why do we have to, why do we have to always be doing stuff? Mm-hmm. And then I pitched it first to a fun, quirky magazine called Woolly. Um, and they loved it and it did really well for them. Um, and then I, after a while, I found out that Smarter Living, which is a New York Times section on, yeah, well, I think the name says it all Smarter Living, on how to live a better life, healthier, more productive, more creative. Or just better, smarter. Um, I knew the editor was looking for pitches. <laughs> and I sent them a similar idea and what they do is they have lots of, because there are different types of stories and for Wooly, I wrote a trend piece. So I said basically, this is this new thing and it's pretty cool and it has benefits. And <laughs> and maybe a little bit at the end, here's some advice on how to do this. But for for smarter living, they they want what this called, um, uh, so they do lots of how to, um, stories. So how to do this, how to do that. And for them, of course, I, I wrote a how to story, how to do nothing, Mm -hmm. um, with lots of advice. Um, um, that's and that,
0: that's amazing just the title how to do nothing is just so tongue-in-cheek in a way and how can you like give tips on how to do absolutely nothing
1: i know, <laughs> <laughs> I know. it was actually called uh, eventually it was called the case for doing nothing mm-hmm. um <laughs> and of course yeah so lots of advice and I, said, uh, I sent him up an email saying, okay, this is my idea. I've written about it already. And it's still pretty, uh, and it's done really well for, for Woolly Magazine. So would you be interested? And the first thing he did, he said, well, maybe not today. No, so the first time he responded, he actually rejected this idea. And then a few months later, <laughs> he comes back to me with an email and said, hey, can we revisit this? And it's, um, I'm really grateful, grateful to him because that's the first and only time an editor went back to me on a story they rejected mm. and said, okay, maybe we can do it now.
0: Amazing. So, you know, I want to unfold all of this a little bit before we move forward into the story because it doesn't end there. So um, I was paying attention to what were the triggers in this story? And I've heard a few things, and I would like to see with you if you agree. The first thing that I noticed is that you were paying attention to the trends. What are the trends that work for magazines and what they're looking for? Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Like that, that's one of your key secrets in a way to be, to be published.
1: Yeah, de- definitely, like I didn't, at the time I did not know it was a trend because the first mention I had of, of Nixon, it was in this totally obscure magazine that no one outside of the Netherlands ever heard of, and it was in Dutch. So I um, I, th- I think it was very important that it's um, that I could read Dutch. Mm. Um, so,
0: so, I see, that's interesting. But that lets me to the second one, which... I noticed also about you in general, because I know I follow you, but especially here in this story is while you know the trends, you also come with something that comes cutting the edge where you're here to be able to like kind of say, Hey, there's another angle to this. For example, you said, you know, I'm tired of all these mindfulness stuff that just add more tasks to my crazy day of raising my kids, having a business and and dealing with everything. And now this whole trend of mindfulness that's even adding more pressure on me to be a perfect mom, perfect person. So you've been kind of just taking that opportunity to, to create a new, a new discussion around a topic that's trendy, which, is, which I think that's also another thing that made it interesting. It's, it's true. I do like
1: writing stories that are kind of going against the grain a little. Mm-hmm. So one, one story I did, for example, for example, was, you know, how usually it's women following their husbands abroad. Mm-hmm. So I turned that narrative around and wrote a story on men following, following their partners, their female partners abroad. Mm-hmm. Or there, there were lots of there were so many stories on uh, along the lines of why I don't share picture, pictures of my kids on social media. And I I wrote a story like that, but my answer was not because, and it's usually the answer was usually um, because of privacy, because I don't want, I want my kids to be anonymous. I want them to make their own choices, where they're gonna, where their pictures is going going to be shown. Um, And I said, okay, I'm not sharing my pictures, pictures of my kids on my social media, but not because of privacy, it's because it's my social media and I have my kids at home every day and my, my social media, my Instagram is just my space. Mm-hmm. That's why my kids are not there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. So no, Nation, I do think that there's something here interesting to, to dig into deeper into finding where can you bring a new, fresh look at a topic where you can really be heard because you just bring some fresh air in this conversation. So I love that about, about you, Olga. Another thing I've heard in what she said was... The fact that you knew who are the editor and that when they were looking for something so how do you do that how do you know who to pitch and what they're looking for
1: yeah so there are several ways to do that one one big resource i use is facebook groups for writers and you have many of those groups and editors are there too so they're gonna say things like oh i'm looking for this magazine i'm looking for stories about this um, and once you know an editor is looking for a certain type of story, and she's giving her, she's giving you her email address, then it's so much easier to actually, even if you don't have the perfect pitch yet, it's actually easy to reach out to her and say, hey, this is me, I have this idea, are you interested? Another place I use is um, Twitter. You'd be surprised to hear how many editors are actually looking, actively looking for pitches on Twitter and sharing their, Email address is in their bios.
0: Fascinating.
1: Um, third place to look is of course Google, as always. Um, you can Google stuff like how to pitch X publication or um, submission guidelines and publication name, or um, and or you can just. Um, look around the website of the of the magazine you're interested in and many a lot of the times they'll have a page about us or our team or our writers and many of those will share their email addresses on there as well
0: that's amazing so it doesn't seem to be that complicated at the end
1: no it's actually i think it's um if you if you don't know those resources right you're 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 kind of here and the magazine is there and it seems like this there's no bridge between those places. Mm. And, and maybe you have an idea, but you don't know who the editor is. And maybe you know who the editor is, but you don't have their email address. And um, I think with each one of those hurdles, it becomes harder. And then like, oh no, I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, but once you have the idea, and if you can get the email address, of, and once you find out who the, the editor is, and once you find out their email address, then pitching them, you have all the information necessary and emailing them is so much easier.
0: Yeah, so we'll talk about how you actually pitch. How does it work? But before, um, you mentioned really good tips here. Go to groups, go to Twitter and simply Google who is the editor. Usually you find those contacts there. Um, Would it be possible to share some examples of groups that we could put in the show notes of this episode?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I guess The Binders is a great group. Yeah, yeah, there are several others. That's that's the one I use the most. And there are several newsletters. Sonia Weiser, I think she's called just, I I think it's called Opportunities of the Week, run by a writer and editor. And she just browses Twitter and she puts all those calls for pictures together in one newsletter and she sends it out every week.
0: So Nomad Nation, we're going to put a lot of resources for you in the show notes of this episode. If you're interested to check them out, go to tandemnomads.com slash 166 and we'll put all the resources there, including a great resource that our guest preparing for you, which is some examples of pitches that she's made, the most successful ones that you'll be able to download on this page. So go to tandemnomads.com slash 166. So speaking of that, so we've you've been so good at sharing with us how to find who to pitch, but then once you find their emails, what are your tips to be able to make a good pitch?
1: Yeah. um, I just remember one thing about um, like being unique, like we Mm -hmm. talked about finding a very unique angle and especially that Norman, Noma's um, audience is quite international. I think it's, for example, for me, it was very helpful that I live in the Netherlands and I wouldn't pitch the most obvious stories. Like, no, the ones that, that make news headlines every day. I think it's, it's kind of more interesting in, and also to the editors to find stories that aren't widely read. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, it's a good idea to try to find publications, local publications that aren't very known and then try to browse them for stories and pitch them to bigger ones or international ones. For example, for The Guardian, I wrote a story about neighborhood walks, which were happening in not exactly my area, but close. And there were people meeting up every three months to kind of walk around their neighborhoods and seeing what's what's missing or what's gone wrong and try to fix that. And it was published in The Guardian and no one else found out about it, because I took it for a hyperlocal publications. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think, as experts, we're really well placed for those kind of stories. Because, you know, the New York Times will have journalists in place or stringers, as they're called in in the Netherlands, who will look for the big stories. So try to find the things that they were going to miss.
0: That's so good. That's such a good tip. That's so smart. Yeah, definitely. Like, how can you be unique is by not going with the trends and, and finding the things that other journalists cannot find on their own. So this is so good. I have the feeling, correct me if I'm wrong, that it seemed like when you get published in a local news or a smaller platform, you can still repitch that story to a bigger platform. Is that feasible? Um, well, there'll be
1: yes and no. So I wouldn't pitch when I said, look for local publications, look, just read them, you know, find out like a hyper-local newspaper in your area, and then see if there are any stories that you might pitch to bigger, bigger places in mm-hmm. the US, for example. Um, I know there, there, there's some, so I know I've had my stories republished that so I you know, I, I published them in one place, and then finally, suddenly someone writes me an email I read your story on so-and-so and it was totally different place from when I originally wrote it for um, so it does happen but it's I think it has to do with some kind of contracts and agreements that publications have with one another. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really pitch the same story to two places twice What you can do, for example, I took the Nixon trend, right? And out of that, I did two stories, one a trend piece, one a how-to guide. Uh, So you can always... um,
0: Shift it a little
1: bit. Shift, yeah, find a new angle or um, try a different tone or instead of a feature, write a list or instead of a list, write a essay, personal essay.
0: Yeah, that's good. yeah. So, I yeah I get the point. I can. And that's why I was a bit surprised. I was like, would a, a newspaper accept to take a, a story from somebody else? Because that wouldn't be okay, I think. So it's more about if something has worked somewhere, you can just change a little bit the angle so that it, it you can legally also, in terms of rights, be able to sell it to somebody else. Um, I will talk about contracts a little bit later. But maybe real quick, are there any type of contracts? That you sign when you get when you get um published or how does it work in terms of rights um it, it
1: works very it, it varies mm-hmm. so um some newspaper will require you to sign off like your you know your home your soul your firstborn <laughs> <laughs> um or maybe not as that <laughs> <laughs> um they, they want they might want exclusive rights to this story um, and it's always helps to look for, the, for language like that because you made, like if you write something and it does really well and you get a book contract, right? Then you mm. might not be able to because of that kind of part of the contract where, where you said, oh, actually, no, we, write, we want the whole right to the whole thing. Um, so it's, and remember the contract is um, another thing you can negotiate. So you're going to probably negotiate your fee, mm-hmm. but you can also negotiate your contract. So if you don't like the language use, you can ask to be changed. Although I, I did have a story that I wrote for a magazine, um, where I asked, okay, you want exclusive rights. So doesn't mean that I never want, I've been never able to write about this again. I said, no, actually, um, the story as it's published with our edits and stuff, that's ours. But I can use my original story the way I send them mm-hmm. in some other form in a book or in another story. So it always helps to write, to, to ask about it. Mm-hmm. Um, some agreements I've had were just emails. Mm-hmm. So the editor says, um, "This is your deadline. This is your fee. This is uh, your word word count, and that's that's the contract basically."
0: Wow, and interesting. I've,
1: yeah and I've, I've had to sign like big uh, pages of documents <laughs> it's very very different it's different,
0: different from a, yeah okay. so how did you get to is it did you just learn on the on the termac like it's in French or did you have to actually reach out to some lawyers to get any trainings to learn to do this properly so that you don't get was it just something that you learned by doing
1: the, the contracts no yeah. um, sometimes if I'm really unsure I would have it read like by my mom for example she's not a lawyer but she um, she's super smart so she gets stuff like that very if, if there's something
0: wrong she would notice yeah. um, so, so getting if- getting a second opinion of somebody who might have some knowledge would be good uh, ideally a lawyer but if you can if you can't really afford it try to get as close as you can from somebody who can proofread it for. Read it for you and make sure that you're not doing anything against and your interests. You and always
1: ask your editor because they'll, you know, sometimes it's just obvious to them. Oh, this is the contract we send out to everyone, and it might not be as obvious to you. And mm. I'm sure I'll be happy to explain this to you. So, yeah. that's How about the
0: how about the fees? How does that work? How did you know the worth of your writing? <laughs> there, how that must be like such a jungle in terms of pricing. So, how. It is what can you give us to guide us through the pricing of if somebody wants to actually instead of getting featured to be featured if somebody wants to be paid for the writing what can you share about that pricing and <laughs> it, it
1: depends why it's it depends on the publication and on type of story and your experience so to give you a like <laughs> idea i was paid anything from zero dollars to per story Mm -hmm. and the way it works is that every publication has a different um, rate Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can negotiate it and sometimes you can't so but always try to negotiate the price it always um, it's always good to do that the Mm worst the worst they can do is to say no Um, that's true yeah so you can try that but then, you, you know, this, those big numbers can also feel very, wow, that's a lot of money, and it is. But if you had, a, for example, the, the New York Times story that went viral, it was 1,200 words, and I was paid a dollar a word, so $1,200, which is, of course, a lot of money. Um, but I had to interview five sources for that story, and I did. And then the editor told me to interview yet another source, so that imagine how how time-consuming that is Mm -hmm. and he was right of course that I that he told me to interview that additional source but it was even more time-consuming and transcribing interviews either you do it yourself which takes forever or you pay money to someone to do it for you Um, either way your hourly rate with such a story wouldn't be so
0: fantastic Mm. That's such a good point. It's If you try to make it for money, you need to figure out that. And But I think the more you do it, the more you get a sense of it. So if you're just starting out, uh, in a way, you need to go through that to be able to figure it out, right?
1: yeah and of course the you know the, the more experience you get the easier it becomes
0: so what the initial question that led us to all these sub questions was once you find the editor how do you pitch the person to get featured so what are your tips here how do, what are your so just you you kindly offered to share with us some examples so Nomad Nation as I said go to tandemnomads.com slash 166 and Olga will share some examples that you can download but if you could just give us some tips of what are the strategies that you have to be able to catch pe- editors' attentions to say yes.
1: Yeah, so um, a pitch is, it sounds a little bit scary. I didn't know a, a pitch, what, what kind of <laughs> word is that? Um, but it's actually very straightforward. So it's, or you can call it a query if it's easier. Mm-hmm. It, An email where you where where you introduce yourself and say I'm a writer living in the Netherlands, like I do, for example, and um, say I have this idea for your magazine and it's about, and then you describe it um, in a in a paragraph or two, and you try to explain why this idea is important right now. the the timely hook is is pretty important for some magazines. why is it important right now, um, or was it why is it fit a good fit for the magazine um, and why are you the best person to write
0: it mm. and you managed to do that all in a very short email, or is it how long are those emails no so pictures are short like of of course this
1: will depend on the of the type of story, but if you're writing, a, I don't know, a thousand words story, then you're not going to spend a lot of, you know, words on the page itself. <laughs> so my pages are usually 300 words long. If it's mostly, if it's for a feature sometimes, um, when, when I pitch an essay or, um, or an opinion piece, then I probably going to do something like the first paragraph, I'm going probably to share the first paragraph of that story Because it's important for the editor to see what kind of style you have, and it also sometimes you're going to you you're not going to pitch. You're going to write the story first and then send it off to the editor, and that's exactly in the case with essays and opinion pieces and humor pieces because those are things that are very voice-led. So you might have the best idea for an essay and then your voice doesn't work out, Mm. and that's. And the editor will have to check if your voice kind of works out in the story. So, for example, I had an essay published in the New York Times as well under um, Parent, not Parent. That's the Well section, um, and I wrote it first and sent it off, and it was accepted. And if it's if it's a story that requires um, sources, for example, or if it's a story where the idea is more important than the way you write it then then I pitch i most I also try to pitch essays and opinion pieces because I don't like writing something only to have it rejected it's It's not nice, and then a pitch is much less of an effort yeah as opposed to the whole story
0: what What shows what I love about your story is how you're self taught you really take the time to actually do the research and learn and learn by doing and by trying, and eventually also by failing, I'm sure that you had much more pitches than, than, than stories who've been, so you, you just don't give up. You just kept going at it and and put some time in it.
1: Yeah. But mostly it was, it wasn't, okay, I'm going to, it was more this curious thing of, okay, I can blog. Can I write features? Okay, now I can write features. Can I write essays? Can, okay, written an essay. Can I do this? Can I do Mm -hmm. that? I was always kind of, I wouldn't say I, I saw it as a game, mm. but it was a little bit playful. Can I do this? Can I do this?
0: Oh, I can do this. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. So, so many great insights. Thank you so much. I think we're not done yet. That's the thing. I have so many questions for you, but I am still I still want to go back to the initial beginning where we said, we've, so we stopped at the fact that you got You got featured in the New York Times with the story of how to do nothing, basically. What was the article's title in New York Times? Uh, The case for doing nothing. The case for doing nothing. So what has happened once you got featured?
1: So as I said, the editor rejected it, came back to me and told me to interview like five people, which I did. And then he told me to interview someone else and the rewrites, the edits were pretty intense um so that's something you have to be prepared for some it it will also depend on the editor and on kind of your level of experience and how tired you are for example so i know when i'm tired i'm gonna make lots of mistakes or i'm gonna write you know i'm gonna miss some things or maybe um and i'm actually pretty happy to be edited because i'm not a native speaker of english so any anyone who takes time to read my writing and correct it and help me learn to do better for me that's and then pays me for 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 learning that it's fantastic
0: yeah that's such a good way to look at it you're so right so so you got featured and then where did the book come in how did that happen the article went viral online and then i think they printed it if i remember well yeah they did i asked the, i asked the editor
1: if they're going to print the article out and he said we well, yeah, sometimes we do but we're not planning it for this one and then it went viral and he sends he sent me a, um, a pdf of the printed story
0: mm-hmm. that's so good you must have been so happy
1: <laughs> yeah i was i was pretty amazed and also because when the article went live I was on vacation, so I couldn't even, even do much. And then suddenly Nixon was everywhere and everyone's writing about it. And, um, But I think in, in July, it was everywhere. By July, it was everywhere. So from May till July.
0: What do you mean by it was everywhere?
1: Um, everyone's writing about Nixon. So Time magazine wrote about Nixon. Women's magazines wrote about it and then from the us it kind of came back to the netherlands and dutch the dutch press started writing about this mm. and then it went kind of all over the place actually
0: but let's let's explain a little bit the word nixon i forgot to explain that what it means what yeah. does nixon mean
1: it means doing nothing it's a dutch word literally doing nothing it's like the verb doing nothing
0: so okay so it went picked up by a lot of other magazines so how did the book and the publishing came in? What, what happened?
1: So for a while I was thinking, <laughs> oh, maybe because I knew writers who had books, who got book deals after having a story went, uh, go viral. And I was wondering, oh, what it happened to me? But I was actually talking to those writers or other writers and they said, oh, you're gonna have to query agents and it takes forever. And it's so much work because you have to put together a proposal and a proposal is basically to a book, like a pitches to an article. Um, And you have to do this and that, and it takes ages. And I thought, uh, maybe I'm not gonna write that book. because it just seemed too much work and then um especially
0: for a book that's about not doing anything (laughs) um
1: yeah so uh, writing about nothing is actually hard work (laughs) um then my publisher actually reached out to me and asked if I was interested in writing a book about Nixon
0: so how did the publishing company hear about you find you what 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 how did that happen They must
1: have followed the Dutch press somehow, and um, maybe they were, they're probably looking at trends, right, Mm. and being written about this particular trend, and by July Nixon was everywhere, and um, they must have found all those articles, so who who wrote it, and then that led them to me.
0: (laughs) Excellent. That's Um, amazing. So they came to you and offered you to write this book?
1: Yeah. And then I also had interest from an agent in the UK (laughs) about the same topic. So it was, um, it was tricky. It's a wonderful problem to have, obviously, but I had two very different options that would lead me to two very different outcomes because the publisher does one thing and an agent does another thing. And, uh, yeah, in the end I went with the publisher and I'm very happy with, um, with this so
0: that's excellent it how did thing. you make that choice what helped you decide oh um i met with the
1: publisher i met with the agent and listened to what they told me um and i thought okay what do i want because with the publisher because they're dutch i was a little bit worried that then the book would be published in the netherlands only and wouldn't make it outside like it mm. wouldn't make it outside of the netherlands um, Whereas the the Nixon trends, it was actually happening in the U.S. So it was very important to me to get in front of of an American audience. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: An agent could help me do that because they they were very international and had a very good um, foreign rights department. Mm. Um, But then with an agent, I didn't have the guarantee that it will sell it to a publisher. Mm. So both very different options with very different outcomes and in the end i i said oh okay um maybe i I want the book published i don't want the stress of uncertainty of maybe it wouldn't sell at all and that's that's a risk of course always but with a publisher at least i'm gonna have this book
0: excellent and you have them now in both languages
1: Yes, so it's been published in Dutch and, and uh, English in the Netherlands. And there, there'll be two English language editions coming out um, in a few months.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> so how, how long did it take you between the article and the book being published and now out and printed and distributed? Yes, yeah, so
1: the timeline, timeline goes like this. This article was published in May. By July, I was approached by the publisher and by the, the agent. I think I made my choice by August, probably. Started writing in September, was more or less done by December. Because they gave me, because it was a trend book, and they felt it was important that uh, this book happens very quickly. Um, so they gave me very little time to write this book, but okay, it's, um, I'm we managed. <laughs> um, Yeah. And so it's March and the book was out in March.
0: Excellent. Wow. This is amazing. That's like not even a year. I know. (laughs) Wow. All right. So here nomination, it just shows how, you know, a lot of people think that you need to have a book to be able to get published. And here's the other way around where actually by being published, you can also get some great deals to, to write a book, which is fantastic
1: yeah <laughs> well it doesn't happen very often
0: but if it's if it happens it's pretty amazing <laughs> tell me more about Nixon what are you trying to convey through this book uh, what is it really about besides the art of doing nothing some of it is about yes of course how to do nothing and what
1: what it is to do nothing I was actually surprised how much how how there, there was a lot of information about boredom or about laziness or about procrastination, but there was very little about doing nothing itself. So I kind of have to um, interview different people and they all had different definitions of Nixon. And my, my favorite definition was to do nothing without the purpose. So if you sit on the couch and do nothing you're not doing it because you want to be a more relaxed, calmer, better person. You're just doing it just because. Of of course, there's this Dutch aspect to it. How the Dutch, um, who actually actually told me they're not doing much of Nixon because mm-hmm. they're so busy. Um, and it's, of course, a matter of perspective to someone from a different country. Um, who were, we're just a very strong um Work ethics, like the U.S., for example, the Dutch may seem pretty relaxed, and of course, the fact that I have um, generous a generous healthcare and social support system also plays into that. And another aspect about my book was that it's a little bit about anti-wellness, and how was I was annoyed by all those, I don't know, um, trends um, about how we more and do more and always improve ourselves um so this book is also against you know okay why can't we do nothing and just accept that maybe we don't have to improve ourselves all the time maybe it's okay to sit and do nothing for a while yeah so in the book i also write about knowing when to do more and when to do less maybe if you if you're busy all the time maybe it's actually you know to think about it and why and how to change that or if you if you have to change it at all because some somehow sometimes being busy is good because being busy means having a good life full of good things right correct um but sometimes you kind of um you maybe need sometimes to do more in in some areas of life so for example a while ago i signed up for a dutch class because I wanted to learn some Dutch and I thought, okay, with three kids and my work and then adding a whole class to it, maybe I'll sign up for the easier class. And then I found it was all grammar and book and it was bored. So I signed up for a more challenging class. It was actually much more interesting, even if it was more work for me, right? So the important thing is knowing when to do less work, when to do more work.
0: Yeah. And what kind of that's so so interesting i love that and i think there's yeah there's so much we can unfold about this topic it's a fascinating topic just to wrap up a little bit this great conversation uh I, what i find interesting as well of what you're telling us now about the book and relating it to the topic of this episode how to pitch it's about that finding that thin line of having a very provocative title when you're actually having a more mixed message that more nuanced message but Using a title that is really, in a way, catching people's attention, not only because people don't talk about it a lot, but as well, because it's saying something that you might not want usually to, to hear, like doing nothing is good. This is not what you're actually saying in the book, but you bring in more, much more nuanced about it. But the title is what is catching people's attention and what made it viable. And that's yeah. where you have to be comfortable
1: yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And I think that was a big thing for me to sometimes be critical of myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: I write about Nixon, maybe I also want to say, okay, I'm kind of a believer in it, but there will be moments where you shouldn't be doing nothing. Mm. Um and I guess also <laughs> I wanted to kind of separate myself from all other wellness trends because I've read so many of those books and they were all you are bad per- if you if you don't do what we're telling you. You're a bad person, a loser, a quitter, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I, that makes people feel bad. And the last thing I wanted is to make people feel bad.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love and, that.
1: <laughs> and also for titles, also titles for for articles, um, we do not as writers we do not always use the title. Sometimes the the editors will ch- ch- change it because of SEO or because of um, other reasons or to kind of be more in line with what their titles are usually look uh, are usually like so sometimes you write a more nuanced article but I guess this very controversial title slapped on it to to grab people's attention
0: that's fantastic okay these are really really great tips Olga thank you so much for taking the time to share your amazing journey and and your great tips hopefully Nomad Nation you had taking a lot of notes, and on top of it, like I said, Olga is offering you some examples of emails that she actually sent that had led to being published, so go to tandemnomads.com slash 166 to be able to download it, before we say goodbye, and also let us know where we can find you, I do
1: run a group called the Nixon News, for people who, um, basically it's a group for my book, so where people can learn about it, and... uh, Share tips how to do nothing.
0: Excellent. So, the, what's the name again of the group? Um, it's the Nixon years the Nixon years excellent I love it so I will put the link of the Facebook group in the show notes of this episode as well thank you so much Olga this was such a pleasure to have you here and hear about your story and your great tips the pleasure is all mine (laughs) thank you so much you're very welcome so Nomad Nation again tandemnomads.com slash 166 and stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities